following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. And that was the wonderful Bob Dylan with Blowing in the Wind. And we are going to be talking about things blowing in the wind uh, from the town, the small town of Tarago. We're joined by Sid Riley, who is a member of the Communities Against the Tarago Incinerator. Catty, for short. Yeah, I got it. When you're feeling catty. Yes, indeed. And you have a good cause to be feeling catty, We sure are. Well, hello, good morning. It's good to get here a little bit later than what we're expecting. Oh, that's all good. That's all good. Sid, you were caught up in the same sort of drama I was caught up in. Yeah, yeah. I guess there's a few accidents on at the moment, which slowed a few people down. We had to be diverted about a 50-kilometre drive. But we got here in the end, so that's all right. Yes. Well, you were just mentioning to us, Sid, that part of the reason that the road is so bad bad and maybe creating some of these accidents is because of the heavy traffic going to the incinerator on a yeah, daily basis. Yeah, well, I guess there's, there's quite a few things to that, um, indeed. So what we're seeing at the moment, um, leaving the incinerator aside, is we have this massive operation just outside Tarrigo, the Violi operation, where they're currently taking a million tonnes of waste from Sydney every year. But interestingly, and this is probably what most Camerons, Canberrans don't even know, and I think it's a bit of the, the deep, dark secret of Canberra, is that we're now seeing over 120 truckloads of waste coming from Canberra every week. So they're going by road, they're coming from the Hume out that way, they're going through Queanbeyan, coming along the, the King's Highway, and then hitting the Tarrigo Road. So that's been a massive increase in recent times, and it's terrible conditions on the road anyway because it's just not up to scratch they've got the wet conditions and that's putting potholes everywhere but when you put all this big increase in truck movements as well it's creating quite a few concerns for us yeah and i don't think the uh, don't think the tarago road was built for a lot of heavy truck traffic either no it wasn't and, no. and this has been a big increase and we've noted too that the increase has been since veolia which i think most people know took over the company suez and Suez were the biggest waste management providers in the Canberra region. Mm -hmm. They have all the household waste at the moment. They control the recycling facility that's down at Hume, and now Veolia own them. So we're seeing a lot of waste coming through Suez Mm -hmm. as well. So that's why we're seeing such a dramatic increase coinciding with all this massive rainfall event that we're getting, which is just deteriorating the roads quite dramatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, interesting stuff. So a million tonnes a year of rubbish. Yes. That's currently. Currently, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Where on earth are they putting a million tonnes of Sydney's rubbish? Well, they've been doing it for quite a few years and what they do is there's lots of different providers up in Sydney and then they consolidate that waste and compress it into shipping containers. Those shipping containers are then loaded onto trains, diesel trains. Usually three locomotives are pulling the trains over a kilometre long. And around 76 to 78 carriages of this compressed waste is coming through Tarrigo every day. So this morning it came through, I think it was 10 past six, because it's 70 or 80 metres from my house this train goes by. Um, I mean, it's good they're using railway transport instead of road transport, but it's a massive amount of waste. So we're looking at over 3,000 tonnes of Sydney's waste being consolidated and coming through Tarrigo. 
then goes to a transfer station, which is just outside the village. It gets lifted by forklifts onto trucks, semi-trailer trucks, and then it gets taken down into what used to be an old mine site. So we call it the void, but it's the old woodlawn mine, which mm-hmm. was 250 metres deep and 800 metres across. So it's a massive void. It was a lead, silver, zinc, gold mine, a uh, big hole in the ground. A lot of contamination was already there. So, you know, we've always, I guess most of the community sort of accepts the current operation, mm-hmm. sort of think, well, it's better than landfilling because... Mm-hmm. You know, it's coming a long way. There's a huge amount of waste miles involved. But what the facility does is they call it a bioreactor. Mm. So they pretty much cover the waste. They've got pipes in there too, and they're collecting that methane to burn to turn into electricity. So it's one up on landfill, but still has a massive impact on the community. Yeah, mm. yeah. Now, when I don't take out my rubbish bin mm. for a little while, it starts smelling pretty bad. How is it having 3,000 tonnes of, of rubbish go past your doorstop at 6am every morning? It's interesting. It gives you a new perspective on weather conditions and everything because, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, when they first started doing this 15 years ago, we'll promise there'd be no odour. Um, that's when they had a licence to take 360,000 tonnes a year. And then the odour events started in 2011. We call them odour events. Mm-hmm. They tend to be sort of an incidence where sort it of prevailing wind you. things. Yeah, yeah it's it's... Providing winds certain times of the year, um, they call this inversion effect as well. We just see different things, and there's different odors as well. But I've kept a very, um, a very detailed diary over the last ten years, and typically the worst months are in winter, uh, May, June, and I guess it's because of that cold air. You get this inversion, and four o'clock in the morning, it just sort of sweeps in. It's almost like it's a river of odor that goes over the top of the void, down through the gullies and the creek lines, and then whack hits a scenario. But there's other events too where we have the Sunday effect where it seems to be they might have left it uncovered or something like that where we get a much fresher garbage smell. Mm -hmm. But um, I've got over 500 odour reports in my diary and in the last 12 months alone it's been over 80. Mm -hmm. And it just hits different parts of the community in different times too. Like there might be massive odours in the Currawang area which is sort of between the facility and Goulburn and we don't get anything and then other times we get it. So it's just... Now, the promises of a no odour are pretty... Have they <laughs> pretty, done anything to try and remediate that? They're constantly trying to do things. They're constantly mm-hmm. putting it down to, we've discovered the problems this, this is the solution. It's a long-term solution, but it's going to take us a long time to get it up and running. So a lot of it's about leachate management. It's when there's too much water going into the void, which mm-hmm. means that they're not getting the right conditions to produce the exact methane. Um, so there's too much water there. They've got to pump the leachate out, and the odour might come from the leachate. So then they've created a leachate treatment facility where it goes through a treatment phase first, where they use a whole lot of biofilters and things to try to reduce the odour. So that's reduced the odour from that, but still the big void, it's still still producing odour. So, I mean, it's living out there and living with this for so long, we, we get the different types of odour too. We get the really shocking events where you taste it in the back of your mouth, it's almost metallic. It Kids have got to come inside. We can't be outside at all. Bring the washing in off the line. And there's other times where it's more fresh, that fresh garbage, that stinky one you talked about before. Mm, when, the, yeah. when the organics is in your, your general waste bin a little bit too long. So, yeah, there's a whole lot of different reasons. And they've had lots of different solutions over the years, but it just, it just keeps happening. Mm. And, and it's no wonder <laughs> because there's more and more waste going in there all the time. And it's, 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 not, a, it's not a cylinder, the void. It's like a funnel. <laughs> so the surface area at the top, of waste is increasing the more waste they put in there. So the closer it gets to the top, the greater the area mm-hmm. where you can get these leaking events and things like that. So, you know, and they admit it themselves. I've been part of 
was part of the Violia Liaison Committee for a very long time. And they, you know, they admit that it's a challenge. Like there's no other model in the world they can really use because this is such a massive facility. It's sort of a lot of it's pioneering. And that's why up, up to now I've been very willing to work with them about this. But it's not nice when you're getting whacked by Oda so often. No, no, that'll, that'll really ruin your day. It does. <laughs> yeah. Gets a bit too hard to take. And then Yeah, you, I mean. Yeah. I don't know. Makes you not want to go outside sometimes, I imagine. Well, we can't yeah. go outside sometimes, yeah. Yeah, mm. I mean, we were recladding our house um, last year and I had my brother come to help me and we couldn't work outside because it was it was actually during one of these phases where the odour was there every day for 10 days straight mm. and it would just waft in later in the day, like it was about 10, 10.30 in the morning, but we couldn't work in it. <laughs> So it can be that bad sometimes without yeah, any... Is this toxic odour as well? It's not just unpleasant, but it's actually toxic. Well, this is interesting because um, something that I've been pushing Violi to do, and they're doing it because they actually have concerns about it, is is there any evidence about what is the long-term effects of being um, exposed to odour all the time? Uh, we've been exposed to it for 10 years. My children have been exposed to it the whole time they've living at Terrio since they've been born. And I know now... Like, I haven't had asthma for a very long time, but I've been getting asthma usually an hour or two before we smell it. <laughs> so we really so concerned about those long term in the air. Yeah, exactly. Well, odor is particles. It's fine particles in the air. So Violia, to their credit, are now mm. looking into what is the long term impacts of odor on people, mm. and they're concerned about their staff as well because their mm. staff work in these conditions every day, and they're thinking, well, this is actually something that seriously we need to look mm. into. And they're genuine about that. And, you know, when you're dealing with the individuals there, they tend to be quite genuine. Mm. But individuals are part of a massive machine, which is the corporation. Which we talked well, about are very interested in returning profits to shareholders. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, oh, got two, two ways we could go here. Let's go, we'll, we'll stay with the rubbish. What's in the rubbish? What what are you getting from Sydney ciders? What are they chucking in Tarago? Yeah, well, I guess it's pretty much everything that's in the red top bins. So it's the general waste stream. So what's in the general waste stream differs between different shires and different areas. Like in Canberra, I think we're pretty good at recycling. We have pretty good recycling rates. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of green waste management at the moment. But in Sydney, there's certain suburbs that they're not very good at doing any of that source separation, like separating waste into the right stream, which means you can be part of the circular economy and give that another life if it gets if it needs another life. So it's a big mix of recyclable waste, uh, a lot of plastics and soft plastics. There'd be a lot of organics in there as well, garden clippings, um, nappies. And there'd also be a lot of things which can lead to a lot of toxic things too, like you know smoke detectors, batteries, all sorts of things. So it's just pretty much whatever anyone's throwing in there in their um, bins but I've had a few friends that have worked there over the years and they've had some very funny stories about um, well they said after the after there used to be the, the, the summer of tennis they'd open up containers and those those inflatable tennis balls would just pop out because <laughs> they were just throwing them out at once and one of my mates said that he saw one fly in the air 50 metres one day because <laughs> oh, so it was compressed on the outside of the container and then as soon as they opened it boom <laughs> so yeah so it, it varies throughout the year but it's largely what's coming from the red top bin the general waste bin which is everything yeah so that's totally uncontrolled really isn't it well it really is and I know you know if I put on another hat, I've done a lot of waste audits before, and we know generally what's in your red top bin, 50% of it shouldn't be going to landfill as a bare minimum. And if you look more carefully, where you look at all the different waste streams, it should really only be about 15%, 20% at the most that should be going to landfill. So I guess there's a lot of things there that shouldn't be there, but the way it is with modern lives, 
lot of people only ever use a red top bin for everything that they produce or the waste they produce. Yeah, and you might not have a choice. What about um, what about industrial waste? Are they taking commercial and industrial sort of waste and yep, it in? that's all part of it. I mean, we, we don't have a full understanding of who's supplying them, but they're getting a bit of everything. I mean, they're... They have contracts with councils and they're doing waste collection themselves. So it's what they're collecting. Um, it's what other waste companies are providing to them on a, a per tonne payment basis. And it'd be a lot of demolition waste and things like that as well. And once, I think there's once or twice a week, we see you know, a special container. We see this big liquid container that's on the train. And that's all the leachate they're collecting from one of their facilities where they're compressing waste. That's a very special guy, that one. But if we look more directly at Canberra, you know, I mentioned before 120 truckloads of waste coming from Canberra every week at the moment. So we're talking about over, well over 5 million litres of waste a week coming from Canberra. That's more than enough to finish, fill up two Olympic-sized swimming pools of waste. So if we look at that, we know some of it's coming from the concrete recycling mob. Um, they're a great company, like they're recycling concrete, but there's a lot of things that they get which they can't recycle. So once or twice a day, their trucks are coming out there from Canberra to Tarragata to dump that waste. We've got like a whole lot of tiger waste from the, the tiger company. We've got like a whole lot of the garbage trucks where they're doing the red side collection of, of commercial waste in Canberra. So that's all coming out and none of that's, you know, a lot of that would be recyclable. And also, I don't know this for a fact, but I know since they took over Suez, there's certain things which go through the recycling plant, which they sort of say, yeah, none of that can be recycled. So I suspect that's coming out the Tarago now as well. And I don't know that, but I suspect that is. And again, this is where after months and months of really pushing for transparency in the type of waste that's coming from Canberra, we, we just haven't been able to work it out and we don't know. And I'm not even sure if the, the ACT government knows what's the, what's the composition of waste that's coming to Tarago from Canberra. Yeah, well, you'd have to rely on uh, Veolia to tell you, really, wouldn't you? That's right. Yeah. Exactly right, yes. And a lot of it's supposedly commercial confidence and things, but, yeah. So if you've got this amount of waste that's coming through on, you know, increasing, it sounds like, every year, it's more and more and more, part of the proposal, Veolia, was to incinerate this waste, right, instead of sticking it in the ground and this mine former mine they're planning on incinerating it and this is where we get into the toxic incinerator right yes that's right yes because they've been greenwashing it very effectively on their they uh, have they have and publicity got, stuff and they've got a you know they've got a community now that's sort of quite beaten in the submission where we've accepted what's currently going on but yeah this is another huge step so the incinerator itself will be part of the same facility what's being proposed is um a massive uh incinerator incinerator that will burn 380,000 tonnes of waste every single year, uh, more than 1,000 tonnes per day. So it's really preventing it from going to landfill. So if we look at all the documents they're bringing out now, it's all about it's better for the environment because it's preventing it going to landfill. But not saying it's actually better for the environment because it's preventing it going to the current operation, which actually is a lot better than landfill. So really it's trying to, as much as anything, it's trying to extend the life of the current operation. But also it gives them a whole lot of options because, mm. you know, what they've told us so far is they're looking to incinerate non-recyclable waste. So can I ask either of you, how would you define that? If I said we're going to burn nothing but non-recyclable waste... Well, that sounds like burning plastic to me. Certain plastics and uh, maybe building materials. Yep. Mm. 
Yep, exactly. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what is non-recyclable? Is well, there anything that's exactly right. not recyclable? Well, this, this is exactly right. Well, this is exactly right. I think it's a very again, we're dealing with a marketing and PR machine at the moment, which has been going on ever since this incinerator has been proposed. But non-recyclable really means that it's not being recycled. So it includes anything that's recyclable that's in your red type bin. Yes. So from everything I've asked of Veolia, non-recyclable is pretty much everything that's in the red top bin. Aluminium right. cans and everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's it's not being recyclable. It's not that it's... If it's in the bin, it can't be recyclable. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So this is where we're dealing with, you know, clever PR and things again. So a lot of it can be recycled, but it won't be. But again, for Veolia, for them, they're going to want to burn the stuff that's probably going to generate the most heat because they're looking to, to make electricity out of it as well. And they weigh every container that comes in. So they're going to have a certain model, which we don't know about, saying, okay, we think this container's got a lot more plastic. Let's burn this one. <laughs> well, this one's got a lot more organics. It's going to reduce the temperature of the incinerator. Let's not burn that one. It's it just mm, We don't know so how they're going to do that. Some streams going to the incinerator and some going into the, exactly into right. the methane generator. Exactly yeah. right, yes. And, you know, all the models around the world probably don't have that sort of level of sophistication. Mm. I mean, Volta is going to be, have an incredible amount of power to choose what they burn and what mm. they put in their void. It's, it's so quite amazing. So this really. company, Veolia, is a French company, I understand, and they sort of have international operations. Is there a comparable incinerator in a smaller community somewhere else in the world that you can see what's going on? Well, they do operate a lot of incinerators around the world. It's been very popular in Europe for some time. Um, I read quite recently that in Europe, um, the EU is very concerned because they're at the point now where more waste is being incinerated than recycled. Yeah, well, Sweden's big on it, I think. They are, they are. But the EU's starting to move away from it because they tend to be quite selective in the areas they put. Um, Most areas where they are aren't as reliant on agriculture as what our area is. Mm -hmm. And something that I'm not aware of anywhere in the world where an incinerator has been built near thousands of people where their only water supply is their rainwater. Mm -hmm. So we don't have centralised water in Tarrago. We drink our rainwater. We bathe our children in the rainwater. What lands in our roof goes into you're our tank. You're cooking with it. You're we're cooking everything. with everything. Yeah, and we drink it. We don't, we don't filter it either. So the biggest concern for us is that we'll go into details about air pollution, but any air pollution that's coming out of this thing is going to then become water pollution in our waterways, on our roofs, and in our tanks. And that's got to build up over time. So, and if there's particles in the air, it's potentially settling on surfaces that are water catchment surfaces. Most as well, definitely, right? yeah. yeah. And we know from the bushfires a few years ago, we we pretty much couldn't drink our water because of the, the smoke particles that were landing on our roof, getting washed into our tanks. So, it's just yeah. I mean, any sort of odor is effectively particles, and particles are going to land somewhere, and particles can get washed into water supplies. So yeah, so I guess there is a lot of incinerators around the world. There's a lot of ones that Veolia operate. And they've recently commissioned one in Western Australia, but in terms of the Eastern States, nothing of this scale before, and nothing as close to a community that's completely reliant on rainwater. Mm. And the only the, one you know, I've seen personally is the one in Hiltebrook in Sweden which is on the Nissan River. Yep, so okay. they're ac- accessing the river as part of the plant. Um, and that's a community probably just close to Tarago size, maybe slightly bigger. Right, okay. But yeah. they're on, uh, they're not on rainwater. They're, they're on, on centralised water still. Yeah, yeah. 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 okay, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's something I'm really, really worried about because, I mean, mm. Veolia, 
you know, sure, it's going to be filtered. Um, you look at all the diagrams they've got of what this waste incinerator is going to look like, and they talk about how they've designed it to fit in with the landscape and the beautiful hillsides of Tarragon and things like that. And there's this little tiny silver thing that sticks up at the back of it, which is the chimney stack. <laughs> and they just don't talk about, you know, what is actually going to come out of yeah. that. And, and there's probably the potential of them not really knowing for sure, right? No, there's not. There's not at all. And and the thing is that they can base it on all the evidence they have from overseas, but that all comes down to the composition of waste they're burning overseas. Mm -hmm. And the composition of Australia could be very different, mm -hmm. especially if you're more selective and you're deliberately trying to burn a lot more plastics. Mm -hmm. If that's the case, well, then... You know, the averages don't mean anything mm. because you're going for a different result. Well, you talk about the, your experience living in the community of the waste is different in winter as it is in summer. So if you're in a cold climate like Sweden, that has got a lot of snow a lot of the year, that's going to have a different impact on the particle in the air yeah. as opposed to a hot Australian climate or a hot summer or what we're having now, a very wet summer. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. And I guess we've what we're seeing around the world is just the dramatic changes in the environment over mm -hmm. time as well. Like, it was only, what, three and a half years ago in serious mm -hmm. drought, <laughs> concerned about bushfires, mm -hmm. and now we've got too much water where we're getting bogged in our driveways. So mm -hmm. it's that sort of changes in the climate too where it, it has a big impact on what's coming And dramatic out of and quick. So this could potentially have an impact on the facility as well. We've got extremes yep. happening within very short periods. That's right, yeah. So and they're testing it based on uh, a standard which is maybe only going to be 10% of the time with yeah, the climate. Yeah. That's right. And with any operation, mm. things go wrong. Mm. And it's when things go wrong when you get dramatic events. Mm. Like I talked about before about the odour events mm. and how they were never meant to happen. But no one's really talking about the massive pollution events that could happen if all of a sudden their scrubbers and their filters mm. go offline where they're still burning and everything's just going completely unfiltered into the atmosphere. Mm. It's just things like that. Mm. And we just, we just mm. don't know. They're all the unknowns. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, also mm. the, I think the standards cover when the plant is up and running and fully operational, but starting and stopping and cleaning and all of that other stuff is not covered. Mm. That's true. Mm. Yes. So, yeah. you know, and that's when a lot of the things like, yeah. well, there's a question for you. <laughs> what comes out of those Chimney stacks. <laughs> well, that's if if thing. things do go wrong. Well, I guess in terms of things... Which that they will. Yeah. If anyone who's done anything knows that stuff goes wrong. That's right. It will go wrong. It yeah. will happen, yes. And they won't be talking about these things going wrong yet. But when they start to go wrong, that's when they're going to start talking about, you know, what they're doing about it and how, you know, you guys will be right. Just drink a bit of bottled water for a while. Yeah, well, I guess it's, it's the sulfides that are coming out. It's the acid gases. Mm -hmm. It's those sort of things. It's the, you know, the heavy metal particulates. Um, we're talking about mercury, lead, cadmium and things like that. Um, and then it's, it's, it's the pops, the persistent organic pollutants. Um, the things, I think that's like the dioxins and the furans and all these other nasty things. Yeah, so, well, yeah. so they're things coming out. But Chlorinated dioxins exactly. are the most toxic thing known to science. They, they are, think, exactly. They? You just don't need much. There are no mm -hmm. safe levels of these Parts things at all. bullion but, can get you. Yeah. That's right. And then the other thing too is that, you know, leaving all this aside, if we look at plastic, like plastic is effectively, and I know it's a bit controversial to say that, but the way I look at it is it's, it's carbon that's locked up. It's potentially a long-term carbon sink. So if you can't recycle it, like it's really a carbon sink, but otherwise it's a fossil fuel. Mm, so if you're burning, you be releasing that so, into the atmosphere? Exactly. So if you're burning it as a fossil fuel, you're releasing all the carbon dioxide in it as well. So it's not all these other nasties. It's the carbon dioxide that's been released. So and when you factor in the waste miles to get it to Tarrigo, 
getting it from the train to the void and then burning it like this is not good for the environment and any model like any economist environmental economist would look at it so say well actually here's your carbon footprint for what you're doing here this is just not on Mm. 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 i mean yeah i mean violia's catch cry is ecological transformation that is our purpose but (laughs) which way are they transforming it well that's exactly right yeah has anybody done the study on the energy returned on energy invested no not looking at all of that train travel and the compressing and the and all the transport you just mentioned no how all of that energy going in relates to the amount of energy that they produce as a uh, generation plant. Well, this is the thing. Violi can look at it in their way, and that's what they put in their documentation and their PR material. And it is not looking at all that sort of stuff. It's not looking at all the externalities that are involved and everything. It should be factored into the true cost of what they're doing. It's more about this is going to produce 30 megawatts of power a year, burning 380,000 tonnes of waste. Oh, by the way, those wind turbines we've got here, which are fantastic, are actually producing 50% more energy than that. We won't worry about that. We'll just talk about this 30 megawatts, which... Only a few months ago, it was 38. <laughs> so they dropped it from 38 to 30 as the environmental impact statements come out now. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking, well, what's going on with that in itself? But, but yeah, you've got to really look at, if someone looked at the true economics of it, which as a community, as an individual, we don't have the resources to do that. We can't go in there and do all the modelling and things. We just can't do it, which makes it very hard to put a case forward on other grounds about why this sort of thing should not be happening. But, you know, Tarago is a small community and it's really easy for people sometimes to sort of call you the casualty of war, right? You know, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. it's Tarago, it's a small community. It's that the outcome is for the greater good, whatever, which is how Viola's painting it, right? Yep. Get yep. rid of waste in a good way, turn it into energy. Yep. But people often don't realise when we talk about this particular incinerator that there's a toxic plume that with the prevailing winds is actually going to reach as far as Canberra and most mm. of the north and inner north of Canberra. I think when you go onto something called plume plotter, yes, plume we'll, plotter, it, it will yes. show you, yeah, which um, is... depending on the direction of the wind, where the plume yep. is drifting. Yep. Um, we've seen it as far as the inner north of Canberra. That's that's correct. On yeah. a regular basis. Yeah, and I can genuinely say that members of the Tarrier community are concerned about other communities as well because the first thing you said there, like, you know, the greater good, yeah, that's fair enough. And we are a model of the greater good. We're suffering from the Viola operation for the betterment of all the millions of people living in Sydney. So it hits a point where, you know, a fair go principle has got to kick in sort of say, well, it's not fair we put you through anything more. But if we look at the uniqueness of the area, like where the, t- the Viola operation is, pretty much the water flows in different directions, only a few kilometres from there. You've got the Lake George catchment, which is an internal catchment. Um, you know, very unique. I don't think it's another one in Australia. So it's only a few kilometres from where this operation is mm-hmm. going to be. And Lake George is effectively feeding all the underwater bores, which is the water supply for Bungendore. <laughs> and Bungendore is a big growing community. So it's not only the rainwater effect on Bungadol, which is only 20-odd kilometres away, but it's also what's long-term going in and polluting the groundwater. And then a few kilometres the other way, you've got the Lachlan River system, which then flows into the Murrumbidgee, flows into the Murray. Mm. So, hey, let's share around these pollutants too with Adelaide. Mm. That's where that's going to end up. Yeah, and that travels through the breadbasket of, of Australia exactly. on its way. Exactly. Yeah. And then another few kilometres over this way, you've got the Shoalhaven River where all that water ends up around Nowra. And then the Mulwari, um, the chain of ponds which becomes the Mulwari River, 
that ends up in the Hawkesbury, the other side mm. of Sydney. <laughs> so you've got all these river systems flowing in every direction and there's almost a point on the map we can sort of say, right, this mm. is pretty much central to all these water catchments. The Let's yeah. build an incinerator there. Yeah, great. We can <laughs> share around. four water catchments all That's at once. That's it. Yeah. And we might have to export some to WA in Tasmania because we don't want them to miss out. No, we don't. We don't. Yeah. So no, it's easy to get cynical, isn't it? They're, yeah. they're selling this as a good thing. What are some of the alternatives that if we don't if we don't have this incinerator and we don't burn the waste and turn it into small amounts of energy, what else can be done other well, than sticking it in a hole in the ground? I guess if we're sort of looking at that, we can probably look at the ACT model. And the ACT is pretty much banned waste incinerators. Mm-hmm. Um, the fundamental reason is that it's it's not supportive of a circular economy. It's what I call a dead-end economy. So it's everything else, looking at waste and how does that fit into the circular economy. One, it's getting the organics out, recycling the nutrients that's in organics. Organics is a huge amount of the waste streams of commercial, of households and things like that. And we want to get that out from the first place and recycle it into compost and feed for our soil. It's looking at all the other recyclables and having the right right way of separating that from everything else. The container deposit scream is a great example. Um, there's a lot of very clean recyclable material coming out of that because we've got this 10 cent incentive to take it to a, a, a place where it's going to be recycled. So really it's source separation. Um, three bins isn't enough, I don't think. Recycling, um, recycling yellow top bin, red top bin, general waste and organics, I think you need more. And I think Victoria's moving down that track. Um, if we're looking at plastics, I went to an amazing talk that I was invited to the other day. Um, Joe Clay, MLA, had um, this lady who's producing a whole lot of um, recycled materials out of plastic bottles. And I did not know this before this this talk, but the plastic bottles that we commonly see, shampoo bottles, things like that, you can melt them in a sandwich press at home and turn them into lots of different things, to jewellery, to plates, that sort of stuff. And it doesn't produce any toxins because it's a very good um, plastic which can be recycled many, many times, a bit like aluminium. Mm. And she said it smells like wax when you're doing it. It was quite fascinating what she's doing. It's quite incredible. So that has a purpose and can be repurposed and recycled quite well. Soft plastics, well, we know there's a lot of problems with that. It's quite expensive to recycle. But again, if we had various waste streams, we actually had a plastic recycling bin. There mightn't be anything we can do with it now, but maybe that could be buried for future generations to then harvest for something that's going to be better for the environment. Yeah, that one day we'll so, be wanting the rubbish so badly because exactly, it'll be good for yeah. something. Yeah. Yep, so land, landfilling well, isn't a bad thing. came out of the ground as... Crude oil, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Dead dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, plastic isn't a demon. It's littering that's a demon where it ends up in the waterways and things. That tends to be more the soft plastics. But if plastic is dealt right, now landfills aren't necessarily a bad thing if it's containing waste that you can't do much else with. But we need to recycle as much as possible the organics, the aluminium, the glass, all that sort of other stuff. It and then you've got a true circular economy. Um, in a small town I lived in in Canada called Powell River, which actually has a pulp mill, and we used mm-hmm. to experience the odour events quite regularly, right. the pulp <laughs> mill. Uh, but they had um, no community or municipal recycling pickup. You have to take your recycling to the plant and you would separate it yourself. And it really taught people a lot about how different, especially plastics, um, can be recycled and used and what are more difficult to be recycled. So you actually went through with your recycling bin from home and put different plastics into different bins and they had attendants there sort of helping and making sure you put them Fantastic. in the right bins. That's and it really yeah. educated people. Yeah, right? that. And, and showed you that the hardest plastic they said to do anything with was the soft, crinkly plastic. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, yeah. 
sort of things you get your salad in and yeah, stuff like that. That's yeah. one that really isn't, yeah. can't be recycled. Yeah. So, yeah, but most things can be recycled, mm. I think, in some way or, or can be given another life. Yeah, they even so. had a bin just for mm. Ziplocs, you know, because yeah. okay, you yeah. need a different recycling for the Ziploc. Or for mm. CD covers, or you know, yeah. CD covers were a thing. Oh, great! I know. Mm. Thinking back, many, many, many years, they are mm. behind the news, <laughs> oh, yeah. as opposed to behind the hides. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember years ago seeing that, and it always got me really interested mm. in waste. I was only very young, where they were looking at Japan and how in Japan mm. they've got like eight bins <laughs> for doing all that separation mm. to make sure they get as much recycling as possible. Mm. And you know, it's not that much mm. extra work, really. And the fact that people were willing to drive to the recycling plant, like they weren't just putting it in their land fill bin they were yeah. actually going with you know with their personal recycling from their household yep. to this place in the town and spending 10 15 minutes to do this properly perfect excellent yeah. well i know when they first introduced recycling in mudgee which is where i was born <laughs> and bred um our recycling bin had a center divider yeah. and one side was for the cardboard and papers yeah. and the other side was for plastic glass and things like that yeah. so already back then <laughs> we're more sophisticated than what we have now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. Crazy, but there's potential it? for it to be also creating work too. Oh, uh, you know, like in, yeah. in people involved in the recycling industry and yep. sorting and that yep. sort of thing. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of, well, once lot of money it's sorted, it becomes instead of a, a problem which you need to find something to do with, mm-hmm. like stick it in a hole in the ground or burn it, mm-hmm. it becomes a valuable resource. Mm-hmm. And it's actually mm-hmm. quite. Uh, so it becomes a commodity again. Exactly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes, yes. And if you get the people power to do the work, well, then it saves all the huge amounts of money has to be spent sorting it and trying to separate it. Mm. So, it's so, separation so what would you source. like our listeners to do to support you? Like what? Like they've listened to all of this and they're like, well, that doesn't sound very nice for Tarago. It doesn't sound very nice for Canberra. Well, what 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 should they be doing at this point? Well, I guess it's you know it's it's quite depressing in a lot of ways. Mm. Just sort of thinking, oh, I can't believe we're going through this again, and mm. how are we going to stop this? Is there any way we can stop this? So I guess the first thing is thinking about what you said before about the plume plotter. Like, you know, poor Tarago, so be it. But wait a minute, this is actually going to affect me too. Like, I actually eat prime lambs that come from Tarago. I love Tarago truffles. Mm-hmm. I love um, some of the um, the honey that comes out of the Tarago region, the, the, the free-range eggs. Yeah. It's going to affect my Red food supply. produce is out that way. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then, oh, wait a minute. Three Gullies Farm. <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. And wait a minute. the ones we can think of. And there's so many other small producers as well. Yep, yep. Commercial worm farming out there as well. Mm-hmm. Producing beautiful vermicast. Mm. <laughs> That's another story, but yeah, but yeah, we've, got to, we've at, got to teach the worms <laughs> to eat all kinds of plastic. That's the next thing. We're going to have worms that can eat all of our waste. Oh, oh that'd be fungus. The that would be yes. Is it? That's okay, it. so mycelium in the soil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so I think it's sort of thinking. Well, this is going to affect me too in Canberra. Yeah. Like it's going to affect me. There might be certain events and certain times the wind's going to blow it over my suburbs and Belcon and things like that. Secondly, it's you no. Know, we don't want to be complicit in this problem because our waste is going to this same facility. Mm-hmm. And even though they might guarantee the ACT government they're not going to burn it, can you trust them for <laughs> one? And two, does that matter when you're effectively subsidising Not that they're selectively the choosing what they burn and when. Yeah, yeah, and we're effectively, Canberra's subsidising the build of this thing because Viola's making money out of Canberra and taking Canberra's waste. So Canberrans have an obligation to get involved in this. Mm-hmm. So really what I want to see people do is go... We're actually at the final stage of this already. The mm. environmental impact statement has come out. Mm. Submissions are due by the 6th of December. Individuals can put in submissions. Community groups can put in submissions. Land care, things like that. I'd love to see them put in submissions about why they think it's a bad idea and why it's against the circular economy. And most importantly, I want to see the ACT government do it. I haven't heard anything public yet from the ACT government saying we're putting in a formal submission against the EIS. And mm. I'm desperate to find that out. 
So that's what I think is really important. Um, I know speaking to um, the Greens the other day, I think they are, and I know they're pushing as well for this. So you know, I think you know, Joe Clay, Stephen Rattenberry have been fantastic on this and trying to get their head around it for sure. Um, but again... Um, you know, I know Stephen Ratbury was very surprised when I told him that Shane, Violi. Shane Ratbury? Sorry, Shane. Sorry, Shane. <laughs> Shane Ratbury was very surprised when I told him that Violi now owns Suez because he. I don't think he was fully aware of that. So, well, Joe was involved in waste before, yeah, so she's been sort of had her finger on the button on that one. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So that's that's sort of mm. that's where I'm thinking. We just need to get Canberrans involved and sort of go. Well, this is our last chance because and awareness. Because how many people don't know about this? No, they like, don't. When we no. share our boosts for the show, mm. we often get comments back and they're like, "Oh, I never heard about this. How long has this been going on?" Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe maybe stopping Sydney's rubbish stream leaving Sydney might be one <laughs> method to get people to yeah. hear about yeah. it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Building yeah. a mini waste up. incinerator on the lawns of Parliament House <laughs> and having the plume drift over there <laughs> towards <laughs> the cabinet. A bit of Lots of well, they just yeah, built a seawall for the Torres Strait Islanders to demonstrate the water levels oh, rising good. there. So. Well, I've got a few wheelie bins out there. Let's go just fill it with plastic and burn. Yeah, and we'll just park them on the lawns <laughs> and make sure the prevailing winds are drifting yeah. towards Cabinet. Yeah, oh, that's well. a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Good little protest there. Well, many <laughs> things we could do. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes, if you've got any ideas, you can email them to Behind the Lines. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But please 98.3 at <laughs> Folks want to get in touch with Caddy and, and help out or get involved? Yeah, that, that's right. Um, Caddy's um, providing a lot of good advice mm-hmm. about how this might impact on you and what mm-hmm. our concerns are um, and also trying to give advice about how you get a submission in because there's not much time to do this. Like the EIS is a 360-page document. It's effectively the final stage. It goes to the Department of Land Planning who are then making the decision about what needs to be replied to um, before they give their recommendations. Mm. So, I mean, this thing could be given approval before the New South Wales election early next year, mm. and then there's no stopping it. Mm. So that's what we really have so to do. So now it has about. to happen now. It's now or never. Yeah. Yeah. It's now or never. Yep. And this, you could be the template, so this is really important because they could set a precedent with this. Yep. That's right, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, otherwise um, we might have to sort of introduce a, a refugee policy in Canberra to help Tarragonians <laughs> leave our area to come and move here. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if Violia's got a budget to buy out the whole town. Well, maybe, like, you know, I joke around how um, they're going to have a, a rainwater tank buyback scheme to buy back our rainwater tanks. Mm-hmm. So just to save us drinking that water and so it gives them more plastic to burn. And then maybe they can give, <laughs> then they give us plastic bottles of drinking water and then we can promise to give them back so they can burn yeah. that too. Yeah. That's a circular economy. Oh, I know. I mean, it's, it's funny, but it, there's a truth in it, which yeah, is, probably really makes is. it even funnier, right? Yeah, yeah we won't better drink our tank yeah. water. I think it's ultimately it comes down to how we choose to use, right? Mm. And that's the hardest part is educating is. people yeah, to make is, better yeah. choices. Yeah, And mm. just the last thing I want to say too is just that it's having a huge impact on the mental health of our community. Like, you know, I get upset talking about it sometimes, but I get, yeah. Well, it's relentless, right? It is, it is. I mean, we've, when you get battered so much, eventually you get to the point where you can't take any more, and that's that's where Tarago is right now. Well, thank you, Sid. Sid Raleigh about the Tarago Toxic Incinerator. Get in touch with Caddy if you'd like to take some action and help out. All right. We have to go. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system 
so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U Or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new, appropriate economy. Thanks.